It's March Mania at Sports Interaction. Wow. NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, so much more. It's Bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. That was good spelling. Thank you. Play Pinata Picks and Minute Madness exclusive games with insane odds you can't play anywhere else. Make your next bet at Sports Interaction. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code at the bottom of the screen or head to sportsinteraction.com slash STPN to get started. It's 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review as it really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney. We've got a great show lined up for you today because I'm happy to say that uh, we've been joined by IndyCar driver racing for Uncos Hollinger Racing. It's Callum Eilat. Callum, uh, thank you for doing this. How are you? Hi, Tim. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm good. I've been uh, spending my time in Indianapolis. Uh, it's a bit cold at the moment, but training a lot, you know, getting ready for the season. IndyCar's a tough one, so we have to do quite a bit of training. Okay, so training. Let's start there. So, uh, when you're not driving race cars, Callum, uh, you can also catch him on his podcast with Marcus Armstrong called The Side Pod, uh, and I believe that's on your Screaming Meals uh, network. Yep. It's good, dude. I listened, so I listened to it and uh, really, really liked it, man. But it, it's a bit chaotic, I think. That's <laughs> why the feedback I got. But no, we, we oh, look, we, we wanted to do something. Obviously, the, uh, Marcus was more in charge of the Screaming Meal stuff, um, especially when he was in Europe. Uh, and I said that was a bit off the rails for my kind of style. I'm not, I'm not too keen on that. Um, but yeah, if you're down to do something a bit more serious and a bit more showing and sharing of our experiences. So yeah, we, we, we focused a bit on more the Formula 1, Formula 2 side as, you know, I've, I've dabbled in a bit of Formula 1 and we've both done Formula 2. And then we do highlight the IndyCar side as well. But uh, we want to kind of start it off covering quite a bit of racing and then, you know, I would say bounce off into different areas. But yeah, if you want to give it a listen... Um, please join us but you know i'm not going to take away from no. you guys here no they should it's really good man i really enjoyed it uh last time so when i drove uh champ car atlanta car so we're going back you know that car was really physical um and i was in like super good shape dude but you know marcus on the podcast you know saying that i, I believe it was he thought that the grand prix of st pete was going to be more physical uh than it was my question for you is you know does he just possess like superhuman physical strength no this is this is where it's a bit of do you mind if i swear Uh, yeah go for it a bit of bullshit because (laughs) he really struggled in f2 so that i think that shows maybe what he's driving a bit more um than his actual fitness no he's he's a super fit guy Uh, like he does spend a lot of time a lot of his time training but i i've done the f2 side and I found that a lot easier than this IndyCar stuff. And him, it's the opposite. I think he found the F2 stuff harder than the IndyCar stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm clearly missing something here because I'm training a hell of a lot more than I was in F2. Um, so yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit misleading and I need to probably recover that in the next two episodes, but it makes me look like really unfit. But that's not, that's not the case. I've been training every day last two months since I've been in Indy. So... Yeah, he's 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 misleading it a little bit, but I, at least from my side, like especially talking about it, it shows how how physical and hard it is. You know, like St. Pete for me, it's almost a two-hour race, maybe what one yeah. hour forty-five minutes. I I average averaged one hundred and fifty BPM the whole way through, and that's with afterwards when I was cooling down for a good half an hour as well. Um, maximum of one nine eight, super hot, um, sweating like crazy. 
I don't even know the weight difference from start to finish, but I know that during the race I had like one, one and a half liters of water. And then Ooh. I came in and I had two bottles of water, a Gatorade, and I think half a Coke before I even went to the toilet. Like that's how much I'd probably lost and I was still thirsty later that day. So it, it's it's pretty incredible. And I was drinking all the way through the race and felt fine. Um, obviously, high heart rate and stuff. But I, I, I'm used to that. I normally have quite a high heart rate when I'm racing. So. Man, you burned. You must have burned like over 1,500 calories for sure. To, to 2,600. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a kind of two and a half, three hour window. It was very impressive, I have to say. <laughs> what did you eat afterwards? Did you at least, like, get a burger or something? I don't know if you eat meat or whatever, but did you at least have a good meal afterwards? What did I have that night? I think I had... I had a good steak, that's for sure. I think, yeah, Sunday night I had a steak. But no, like, after that, I kind of just try and get a good amount of sugar in me just to recover the the kind of blood sugars. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it destabilizes it a bit, but, um, yeah, so I just just straight on to some snacks and then... um, maybe whatever i had left over from the lunch i'd eaten at 10 30 11 o'clock that morning because uh, it's weirdly timed but yeah it's 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 incredibly physical i think people really underestimate it i definitely underestimated it last year when i when i arrived um but that's the way it is you have yeah. to do it um wait till he gets to toronto scorching heat 90 minutes flat out on the streets of toronto it's bumpy uh no cautions I think Marcus will see what's up then. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but St. Pete for me is for the heat or Nashville or St. Pete was the worst. I know Toronto can be bad at the, yeah. the right time. Um, but it's, it's. I think if he was all right at St. Pete, he'll be all right in most places. At the moment, obviously, he's not doing the ovals. So it's a shame he misses out on the doubleheader at Iowa because that, that's quite a tough one as well. I, my, my back that Sunday, I was, I was dying on the drive home. I drove home six hours that night as oh, well, wow. so I, I just uh, yeah I, I need to take it give give myself a rest sometimes. Uh, speaking of ovals, uh, you know what's obviously the five hundred's pretty awesome, but you, you know like coming from European racing, like what were you expecting when it came to ovals? You know what I'll I'll start with this because I was in Texas last week with Augustine um, trying to help him and. Um, it was quite funny because he came in from the first proper run and was like, this is just stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, why why am I here doing this? And I had a very similar reaction when I jumped in. I, I My first reaction when I came in was, whoever thought of the idea to drive around in circles at the fastest possible yeah. way is yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I I I, I, sim- I sympathise with that. Obviously, I got more used to it. Um, look, I loved Iowa and Gateway last year. I think that was great. The short ovals for me was yeah, m- closer to home and yeah. more like a higher speed corner with more downforce. Um, the speedways definitely was. Uh, I still don't think I got used to. Even by the time we we finished with Indy, I, I didn't feel like I was used to it. But I'm interested now to go back to Texas. Um, after a whole year of kind of ovals yeah. and that and really see where i'm at because i'll be a hell of a lot more comfortable and they, those were the first two races you've got texas which is a quite a tough one to jump into and then indy and then actually the easier ones in my opinion are the later <laughs> ones so it's not it's not easy but yeah for those who don't know you have texas which 
in qualifying you're kind of averaging 220 miles an hour for two laps you have indy where it's 230 for for four laps i mean scott dixon holding the record now or p2 on the record not sure at 234 miles an hour which is insane and then you go to iowa which is like 185 maybe 180 um and gateway which is a bit in the middle because you've got a very high speed corner and then a kind of more hairpin road coursey um but texas is 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 super high banked you come in dizzy after every run because of the amount of g-force you pull mm. especially in turns three four again i don't know why the americans that label it one two and three and four it should be one and two but you know whatever i'm not going to complain so <laughs> for you europeans yes ovals have four corners even though there's only two um but yeah that's that's it <laughs> it's it's intense it's super intense it's a long race i had cramp in my shoulder uh last race my uh, last time there my water wasn't working so it was a hell of a long race to finish p16 for qualifying for the 500 i was talking to who was i talking to scott mclaughlin yeah took his left foot put it on his right foot hold it down yeah I, 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 mean, that? I, I did that in Le Mans when I was okay. racing the GT. I mean, I started to cramp up in my right foot three hours into the stint, and you're like, you're like that. But I would not be doing that in Indy. Um, I, I think like lap four qualifying, that car is not nice. The tires just start to go, and you start floating towards the wall. Um, I mean, fair play to him. Um, I think he's probably not the only one to do that. Oh, yeah, Sato, Sato looks yeah. like he was someone to do that, especially when he hit the wall and carried on going yeah. flat into the next corner. Oh, yeah. You have to be, you have to be another level of crazy to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, you know, I, I had to have a bit of a mentality change. I think one of these questions <laughs> uh, I saw on Twitter, um, like what, looking at it now from when I was in junior single seaters, did I ever think I would be? doing this um driving over 200 mile an hour in ovals um no i didn't um i thought everyone doing it was mental and then here i am doing it um <laughs> so yeah it's 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 pretty incredible i i mean again it's kind of one of those things that you just have to get on with and my attitude to it was like yes it's dangerous of course it can easily go wrong um but if i if if i haven't experienced it how can i say no mm-hmm. you know like i i can't I have to decide for myself and do mm-hmm. it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, the super speedways, I still have my hesitations. It's not easy to be driving 230 miles an hour side by side with someone. Yeah. You have to have full trust in them and full trust in yourself because even at that speed, it's hard to 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 stay inches next to someone, even yourself. You know, imagine imagine on a motorway, it's hard not to weave uh, or an interstate, mm-hmm. whatever you call it here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy on the racetrack either so that that's tough for me and learning who you can do that with and who mm-hmm. you kind of can't is is not easy for a first timer as well uh but i've i've built up i've built up but yeah i i, I thought everyone was stupid who did this i mean i understand <laughs> the f1 drivers hesitation when they look at indy and go yeah it's a bit too dangerous for me i understand that um i'm in the situation now where i I'm not really bothered by it, but I also understand and respect the dangers of it. It's 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 incredible, and you know, even even the tiniest mistakes can have massive effects. Yeah. Um, as I, I found out, I, I was sitting out for a weekend after the Indy 500 <laughs> after I broke my hand, and uh, yeah, that that was just a simple mistake caught out by the wind, you know, on older tires and 
next thing you know you're around and before you even realize you're around you're in the wall and then you're sliding in and then you hit another wall and yeah lots of pain i always found with uh with indy and you know some of the f1 drivers it's kind of like one of the things with it is like as you build up to it right like you just you it's kind of like um i mean for european drivers who've raced at i don't know let's use oh, we use jetta because they're just coming off of that that's kind of like, kind of like a yep. track you know you gotta you gotta build towards and you know the 500 is no different right at, at ims that that's a similar type of um mentality can you just explain that a bit i mean because some people may not understand by building up to something to get the confidence to go flat through turn one or or, or whatever yeah i i mean it's it, there's like different stages to this so like take turn one for example you know that's the one where as a rookie the first stage is to go flat through there and then <laughs> once you get there you can work work around i mean there are four corners which are all meant to be identical but they're all kind of their own individual corners you know like turn two is hands down the most difficult because it's where the grandstands open up and there's a little gap where the wind can get you for some reason there's maybe a little bump or a, a crest on the exit and that's where most people crash that's where i crashed that's where everyone crashed in the race to be fair um three four is meant to probably be one of the easier ones you know i, I think that one is a great one to build up to and then the last corner you know it's some people get caught out some people not that's quite a difficult one in traffic uh, a lot of understeer um but number turn one is is the first one you kind of get to and i would say like there's one thing in practice when you know you've got so much downforce especially starting where they're like yeah this should be flat you know i wouldn't worry about it. it's just all all to yourself and you need to build up and you go out and you do like obviously the installs you come back in the pits you go back out and you get to that turn one and you start and you kind of go i think i need to lift i think i need to lift like it's not gonna it's not gonna stick and then you end up full lifting the first time and it doesn't feel great because you full lifted you've changed the pitch of the car and when you change the pitch of the car you lose a bit of downforce and it's it's not good for the car destabilizes it and then the next time you're like okay i'm gonna come and then you get to about like 40 mm, percent okay feels more comfortable right now let's go and then you get to that point where you you go to be flat and you do this called driver flat where you you're hesitating a little bit and it's 95 percent throttle and then at that point it's like okay now it's flat i'm just gonna pin it and go and of course the older the tires get the more risky that becomes um but that's that's kind of the goal that you're working up towards and you know some drivers when they're told it's flat are able to just go and do it um some know that they can do that but you know want to build up and some struggle with it some can't can't do it uh, of course most people end up doing it anyway what's difficult is when you go to qualifying and you've got those four laps and you're trimmed out like crazy the trimming out means taking the downforce off you know you know that the car can do it right but you have like two factors well actually a few more you've got the wind you've got the temperature and you've got the fact that to be honest even if it's meant to be balanced sometimes the cop which we call the 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 well, center of pressure right mm -hmm. which is the difference between front and rear downforce um sometimes that can be out and sometimes the car can't be set up well and if it's out by a little chunk of a point of percentage you can find yourself turning in and you'll be turned around and hitting that wall and you won't know and that's where you've got to have trust in the team and trust that everything goes well so going out and you go into qualifying and knowing that you have to do turn one flat 
but you don't know if it's going to stick or not, right? And once you do it flat, you know you can do the the next two laps for sure pretty flat, and the fourth one's going to be difficult. But it's that it's that trust, you know. You have to do it flat, otherwise your qualifying is ruined because you're just wasting speed. Um, and that's that's tough. That's that's a real. Uh, that's where I, to be honest, probably even me actually. Maybe I did it, but this is where I can understand Scott's um thinking is where you have to be flat and once you've done it flat you're good so once i've got through that turn one the rest of it's easy but also if you know if, if you go through turn one loose on that first lap and the car's moving you're done i mean like I, I, that's a box moment if it's loose on the first lap so yeah it's it's not easy it's not easy and it's a big psychological thing um and to be honest it's it's even tough for me to describe and i hope the listeners can understand what i'm talking about but it's another level doing it yeah, and uh, conditions change every single day and you have to have trust sometimes you don't get much running i mean the the fast friday which after a whole week of testing we then have this friday where the boost gets turned up on the engines and you've got an extra like wow, 70 to 100 horsepower i'm not sure what it is well when we had it last year it was like 40 mile an hour wins so no one wanted to go out i think we did one or two runs and then you're going into qualifying the next day jesus christ like that's not it's not nice you know you've got to you've got to trust it and you're not perfect with the car but you've got to finish it i mean my fourth laps in qualifying were on the limit as many others were as well but you know it's 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 all part of it it's where it's why you get paid the big bucks i guess to just um hang it out to dry in that sense badass man it's so cool uh what else do I want to ask you about IndyCar before we switch gears here? Uh, favorite track so far that you've done on the IndyCar calendar, and we can we'll, we'll remove IMS from that. Uh, anything outside of IMS? What's been your favorite track? Well, IMS isn't my favorite. The wall hurts there. I'm not <laughs> not in good relationships with her at the moment. So um, for ovals, it's Iowa. I really enjoyed that weekend. I hated the testing there. The testing was shocking. Yeah. But then I went to the race weekend. I was like, I love this. It's great. Um, road courses, I think Road America that that really stood out to me as as a great track. Barber and Laguna as well, close up there, but they were great. Mid Ohio is a tough one, but Road America stands out. And then with the street circuits, uh, Long Beach is a great atmosphere, but I think I enjoyed Toronto and also for us as a team, that's where we kind of started to click a bit more on the street circuits. So it's nice when things come together a bit and you can you can enjoy the track a bit more because it's working a bit better. So you've raced against uh, some of the best and uh, best of the best in motorsports, man, and you've beaten pretty much almost all of them. Uh, a few, most of them, most of them. There's most still a of them. Most I'd of like them. to like to beat. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Toughest competitor. Um. I, look, I, I've had a couple. Um, yeah. You've got some so, good teammates too. Yeah. No. 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 Going through it, I have, but. Um, I think there's a couple because I, I I don't ever like to single anyone out on sure. this side, but sure. throughout my years, me and Lando have been up until he obviously progressed to F1. We kind of did different paths, but came together at certain years. So, 2014 in karting, we were we were racing together, um, and he was he was mega good, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, my English is yeah yeah no, it makes total sense. Dodgy. Um, then we came back together. 2017 f3 um and he was a rookie at the time i i'd done 
three years in F3, but at the same time, he'd done four years in cars. So I, I'd had three years of experience versus four years. Right. You know, it was interesting to yeah. see the different paths come together. Um, and actually, to be fair, I mean, even at nine, ten years old, we were racing together in karting as well. So again, 2014, we came together at the pinnacle of karting, and then again in F3. Um, so he was super competitive. Uh, and hands down one of the best drivers I, I've seen. Um, George, I raced against. Uh, we were teammates in 2015 in Carlin. Um, he was 2016 F, F3 with high tech. Um, but I think for him, it wasn't clicking at this time. He was showing potential. But then when he went to GP3 with ART, it just clicked. And he, mm. he became, uh, I, I think, just put it together and became the, the kind of driver that he is now. Um, I think 2018, Antoine Hubert, um, he was super impressive because we'd been teammates back in 2016 as well. And he was a bit raw around the edges at that time. Um, and in in a certain way, it was it, I, I had the upper hand by quite a bit in 2016. I came in 2018, I was like, shit, okay, you know, you've stepped it up. And it, when a driver improves that much, I also have a lot of respect for them. Mm. Um, and that was that was super impressive for me. So. He, he was one of those ones that I think when he got the understanding of it was, was super good. And, and what he did with, with Arden in 2019 yeah. before, before the event was, yeah. was, was mega. I think that they really, really struggled and he, he was able to get the most out of that car and more. Um, yeah, and then I've been, I've been around a lot, of guy, a lot of other guys, even if it was just for one race. Um, but yeah, I obviously... Uh, 2020 I was against Schumacher, Sonoda, teammates with Guan Yu Zhu who's doing well in Alpha at the moment, um, Guan Yu Zhou, I mean we call, I call him Joe, I mean that's what we've always called yeah. him, um, and uh, yeah I, I mean even the, the younger side of things, um, kind of did a couple of races in karting with Verstappen, Leclerc, uh, I think maybe even Ocon. Um, you did FIA F3 with Leclerc, right? Oh, uh, yeah, Leclerc, yeah. Uh, that was Leclerc, finished fourth in the championship, Juvenazzi second. That's what it was. Rosenquist won it. Third was Jake Dennis. Right. I think George was like seventh or, seventh or eighth. Yeah. Alwyn was seventh or eighth. Um, that was what, 2015, yeah, if I remember correctly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you're um, coming right out of carts into into those cars? Yeah, straight into Formula oh, 3. I was, I was with Red Bull at the time, and they Max had just done it in 2014 albeit with a lot more testing than I got. Yeah, he, and he had a helmet. ton of hurt. I sat down with him in the middle of 2014, mm -hmm. and he was like, ah, so how old are you? And I'm like, 15. He's like, ah, so you can do Formula 3 next year. <laughs> okay, we sort it, you go. I'm like, oh, shit, okay, right, let's <laughs> let's go. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Super stacked grid. If, yeah. if you guys who, who know racing want to go and look at that that year, I mean... We had some legends. Uh, even Mahavir Ragunathan was oh. in this in this grid. <laughs> it was it was it was 36 drivers, super competitive. And for a first year, I didn't do a bad job, but obviously I didn't do the job that um, was expected after Max. And I split with Red Bull at the end of that year. But well, here's a few, Callum. Like I just pulled it up. Here's just a few. So this is uh, so Rosenquist. This is 2015 FIF3. So yep. Rosenquist won. Giovinazzi second. Jake Dennis. Charles Leclerc. Stroll. George Russell, Stroll, yeah. Alex Salbon, uh, Maximilian Gunther, yep. uh, Ferrucci, yourself, uh, Sergei, uh, Sergio, geez, Sergio, Sergio Camara, who yeah. eventually, I think he finished third in 2019, F2, F2 I believe. Fourth, I think, fourth. Cause, so was uh, it fourth? 
Okay, so I mean, oh. like, that's a stacked field, dude. Like, Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was ridiculous. And, like, there's even more. There's um, WEC champion Gustavo Menezes. Men Menezes. He was a teammate yep, at the time. Okay. Yep, okay, um, <clears throat> We've got Frucci Nick in there was in there. Well. Pietro was in there. Arjun yeah. Maney. Yeah. Dorian, uh, was, it, was it Bukalaki, I believe you can pronounce it? Bok Bukalachi, I think. Bukalachi. I yeah. mean, there's some... Even the guys further down, like... There's yeah, a ton was, of talent on here, Fitz man. Fitzpaldi like, was in it as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it was impressive. It was it was tough. That's crazy, man. Good. For I enjoyed you. it a lot, though. It was good for sure. All the things you must have learned. Um, moving over, we'll talk some F1 real quick before we get some questions. Uh, let's talk about Ferrari, <laughs> dude. What's going on with your uh, former team? I mean, come on. The race pace was was shocking after Jetta. Like shocking. Uh, yeah. Uh... I don't know. Look, look, the 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 problem you have is is with with Formula One is that everything is two years in advance, right? Yeah, so sure. all of this de development would have been done one or two years ago. So, um, which is which is tough for someone like Fred because you know you're trying to make changes, but those changes impact it in a year or two. You know, it's very hard to make quick changes. Um, and I'm I'm pretty impressed to see what he's doing and the rate of change from what I understand because it's a bit speculation. I'm not there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but from what I hear, it's it's rather impressive um, what he's doing and how he's changing things. But of course, that effect will be later on. Um, yeah, the the race pace isn't amazing. I, I think I saw a stat earlier that it was relatively similar to last year, whereas mm -hmm. even Mercedes improved, Red Bull have improved massively, um, and obviously Aston have astronomically. Um, but I, so so in that, it's very similar. Um, it's tough. It's it's super tough. I think they got a bit done on strategy with the safety car. I mean, no one was expecting that safety car. It wasn't really yeah. planned, of course. And then I don't think it even should have been a safety car, but not my not my area. Um, yeah, they, they. I think it's amplified by how well Aston is doing. That's another two places that you're potentially going to lose. Merck is it's close, but you know it's 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 tough. They've got so much behind them and such a great team that it's it's in such a way you you only fall harder when it's not going well so well, I, I do feel sorry for the guys there and everyone i mean and you can agree or disagree on this but i mean like everyone keeps saying it's only been two races right callum and it's like these things can turn around quite quickly especially now the way that the regs are with formula one and cap on wind tunnel testing time and yeah. then you've got your cost cap on top of that as well um and, you know, if you take a look at Aston Martin last season, I mean, they started off as slowest car on the grid, arguably one of. I think uh, their, their race pace was really good, though. So quality was, pace, I would agree. But the, if you if you looked, especially at the end of the year. Uh, well, I, that, that's what I'm getting at. So once you see how that development curve yeah. goes off, right? Like they get to Spain, they get a massive upgrade. And then it's kind of like every upgrade they get from then on out is it's almost like they're hitting home runs with it. Like everything started to work. Cars started yeah. to work better. And... I think like that's the thing that I've been looking at with this regulation of Formula One now is that even though Ferrari is where they are, and I, I think they're probably about, what, like two tenths in, in quality, uh, and then maybe, what, six tenths in the race? Yeah, maybe? well, I, I, I wouldn't even look at that because I, I, don't, I don't think Red Bull is 100%. 
I mean, it's according it's, to Christian Horner, they were like flat out in the race. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I would say that too. But they they look astronomically fast. They in do the look race. good. It's but just they can when, close. But, but but Ferrari can close. I mean, some of these teams can close that gap, don't you think? I mean, like, oh, I mean, sure. not not massively, but I mean, they can they can get closer. So take Mercedes season. last year, right? Yeah. I, I yeah, they really example. struggled beginning of the year. Massive complaining, and actually, to be fair, was a midfield team first couple of races. Um, but you see, again, like you said, around Barcelona, they they just are able to fine-tune their car and get it into window. Albeit it wasn't the best package in the world, but they, they fine-tuned it and got it there. Remember, over the winter, they've had to turn the car around and go with plan B, which, you know, takes some time. But I think given that the starting point is already slightly better, I know they had all this speculation of it. But the starting point is already better, in my opinion, that yeah. they should, if they improve at the rate they did last year, which was very, very good, bearing in mind they were finishing on the podium at the end of last year, they, they will have a good, good finish to this year. And I know that they can do it because they showed it last year. But the other thing for me, when we talk about like Ferraris, you have the Bahrain testing. Bahrain is a very individual circuit, um, quite low speed combined, only one high speed corner. So you don't really get the feeling for all the weaknesses. But it's a good place to test. Barcelona is probably the best one, which is why everyone was always going there. But you get a feeling for it. So if you can understand where the weaknesses are there, great. And you can implement that. But you have to do the testing. Probably spend two weeks analyzing before you can get a solid idea, which is already after the race anyway, of where you're lacking and where you need to improve. Then you have to send that to the design team of what you're go- what where you need to improve. They then have to think of it and design something that's going to be better, which you would have hoped they did in the first place anyway. So it's not easy to just creatively come up with something that's better in those areas. And then you have to actually make the thing, which takes another three to well eight weeks, depending on the team and what what the resources they have and the money behind it because of the cost cap and all of this. And then you have to test it, and then they test it, and then they see that it doesn't work, and then you have to go back to the drawing board. It's it's so much more complex, and these. Things have to fit on the car, have to be on the regulations, and you know if it's something with the front wing, for example, that affects the airflow across the rest of the car, and you may not even if it's better, it may not even work across the rest of the car. So, it is so complex beyond the imagination, which is why they have so <laughs> many people doing it. But it's 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 incredible when you look at it, and you know that's that's in the season when the cars are already made. Imagine yeah. the beginning of the season yeah. when in February there isn't a car; it's theoretical, right? And then they have to just put it together and hope that it works. It's incredible. I mean, I, I, I didn't know any of this before coming to coming into cars, right? And I learned over time. And I, I sat there with some of the engineers, going, "How the fuck do you do this? Mm-hmm. Like, how does one department here, one department here, one department here, all put something together and build something which is which which works together? And of course, it doesn't always, right? But I mean, they, everything is, it's, I know it looks, you know, from the outside, how can you make this mistake? How can you do that? It's so simple. It's blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work like that. It is so complex. And we can all sit there and say, you know, it's like this. And some things are like that. Some things are like that. I can, I can agree on that. Maybe strategies and stuff in hindsight. But when you put those cars together and you see the level they go to and the details and stuff, it gives you an appreciation for the whole thing. I think Mercedes has been working on something before preseason testing. To be perfectly honest with you, I probably. Think we'll probably. I mean, when when you put that, when you finally put that thing together, yeah, and you're not showing the show car in in on yeah. the launch, <laughs> yeah. and you get that thing in the wind tunnel, or you get that thing on the seven post rig, and you're able to see the weaknesses of it or the flex in certain areas, then you can then you're already doing something before it's hit the track. Yeah. But 
again, you have to put it together, and they don't. They, there is no car until the the beginning of the year. Like it's not like they have this thing ready in September. Mm. Doesn't work like that. They don't have it, so they they get it in February. And they got to do two of them too. So there you go. Well, my, a lot more than two, to be honest, across <laughs> yeah. the year. But yeah, <laughs> replacement parts and everything else for it as well. Uh, let's head on over to Twitter because uh, there's like a ton of questions for you, man. Yeah, sorry, uh, I know. I was no, no, this lot. is this is great, man. This is great. I'll uh, I'll rattle through some of them. But sure. Might not be able to get to all of them because uh, I know I don't have you for long. But Stephen Clary uh, asks, what was the most difficult aspect to adjust to from the Formula series, and how has your first experiences on ovals compared to to any advice uh you got to prior to to driving prior so did you get any uh did you get any advice prior to going into ovals okay so with the racing in the junior formula to coming over here firstly it's like now a full professional series you know you're against the best of the best in every team there is is someone who's been there a long time right yeah that's great to race against and to learn against because they've got so much experience Whereas in F2, yes, obviously, it's a competitive grid, right? And it was a competitive grid, but you're all kind of progressing at the same rate, you know? It's it's not it's not like you've got that benchmark who's been there for a long time. A couple of races, you know, you have that with, with maybe De Vries, who was there for a couple of years, Latifi and that. Um, they, they were good benchmarks to see where you were kind of at compared to the year before. But now it's full professional. You know, you're, you're against the best of the best in, in the series we have. Um... And then it's just the the rate of the development is more. Uh, you mm. can you can develop and play around with a bit more massive variation on circuit to circuit. I mean, look at it. We go from street circuit. Sorry, my camera's shaking. But street That's circuit, okay. St. Pete, to super speedway, uh, Texas, to street circuit, Long Beach, to Barber, and then to super speedway uh, in Indy 500. Right five or six races all massively different yeah and you know you're turning around cars and you're you're having to adjust as a driver just as a team that's that's incredibly intense and tough then the other part of the question was uh what was it hang on i missed it what was the second part of that Wanted to know if you got any advice prior oh, to driving. My, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I had Hunter Ray for the first couple of ovals last. Oh, year nice. That's my, the that's the guy you want. Yeah. Uh, um. So he 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 obviously taught me a lot, but at the same time, you also have to get your own experience of it, yeah. um, because words only help so much. So yeah. it was great, but of course, I had to understand it personally as well, and you know, it's it's a big confidence thing to go out there and do it. So yeah, tough, tough as the first experience, but I had great help on that side, um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't complain really. I kind of got on with it as good as I could in a certain way. From uh, Austin Khan, this is actually a cool question. How different are the driving techniques between driving an IndyCar versus Formula Two versus F1? Are many techniques transferable between the cars? So I'm gonna exclude f1 it's just sure. it's it's a completely different car yeah. um mechanically perfect um yeah. to what it can be downforce is stupid um <laughs> and you've got kind of all the tools to help you so you've got everything with the differential entry mid exit high speed you can change it all you can change everything with the brakes to make it a bit easier for you and help you not we, we only have brake bias you know or, or anything else you want to change you have to do it after the session um whereas that car you can do everything in session you can kind of you can make it work a lot um 
F2 and IndyCar, very, very similar in a certain way, similar design, obviously executed slightly differently. Um, massively different engines. We went from single turbo to twin turbo, bit more power out the twin turbo here with the Chevy. Um, and that is a lot more drivable than the single turbo. Single turbo was like, I mean, I had to come out the corner and go flat out. Mm -hmm. And then the boost would build with the turbo. And when I got to a certain point, I had to come off the throttle a bit to then hmm. come back on. Otherwise, there would be too much torque if I held it 100%. Okay. So you've got a throttle shape which goes 100% and then back off and then back up, hmm. which which is which is weird and you ha have to get some experience for it. Whereas IndyCar is like a you know a normal thing. You you back to normal. Um, so that was a bit of adjustment. Uh, we've obviously got the roll bars, adjustable roll bars, weight jackers for the ovals, um, which. You, it helps you fine-tune the car, and if it's out the window, you can kind of bring it back into a reasonable window. I mean, if you have to adjust a lot with it, you know you've you got a bad car for that weekend anyway. Um, whereas F2, what you had is what you got. Mm -hmm. You had to, to make it work, especially on those kind of difficult tyres. Um, that's the other thing, tyres. So super soft kind of understanding. You've got to really understand the Pirellis to make them work. Save the tyres like crazy in the race. You're driving around like 90 95% yeah. of the time. Oh, 95% at the time um, just to make the tyres last whereas IndyCar it's, you know you get that sometimes where you have to preserve the tyres but they're not your concern you come out the pits and you're just <laughs> flat out whereas F2 if, if I could relax a bit out the pits I would if I had no one behind me I'd take it easy just to get the tyres working nicely um, because they can they can grain they can it just shoots you in the back basically yeah. if you get it wrong um, and then uh yeah, the race is super, like two times longer. Uh, very competitive. Can m much more pit stops. It's just it's just mental. It's kind of crazy. You you can be really on the back foot. The strategy first half of the race, and it can all turn in a split second just because you played the longer game or something. So that's a that's a bit crazy for me. But they're they're both great series. F2 was super competitive. Racing was good. Okay, it was DRS racing, uh, degradation racing with the tires, but it was good racing. And F uh, and IndyCar is close competitive you really got to make yeah. a move and get past uh from that 52 car who in the indy car paddock would you like to prank the most um I, it would be armstrong but he's not going to <laughs> well he's not racing at the 500 so i can't really get him but he, yeah he, once once he starts racing on those ovals he'll get an initiation i think i thought you'd say connor daly <laughs> yeah but I, I like connor i mean i would <laughs> I, I would but i like connor and um He's he's had it tough the last couple of years, so I, I think I'd cut him some slack. But yeah, I, I mean, I maybe a little bit. Uh, from Ryan, uh, Ryan would like to know what your favorite moment in your IndyCar career has been so far. Oh, the P2 in Laguna. Yeah. I was I thought I had the pole. I did yeah. that lap, and I was like, oh. Um, uh, that, that must be pole, must be pole. And then they're like, no, that's P2 by 200. So I was like, oh, come on. So that, that was a good moment. That was like a, a starting point for like what we could do. Uh, from is race week, do you ever get nervous before a race, like butterflies or chills, or do you get all of it? Um, if it's something new, yeah, I, I like because I don't know what to expect. A little bit anxious kind of feeling. Um, nervous no because I, I learned very early on in my career like whatever happens happens you can't really change it once it's done and I learned that 
because a kart race I'd qualified like on the front row three times in a row three separate weekends and some dickhead comes from the back and just takes you out three <laughs> times in a row and I was like well what, what more can I do I mean yeah. I've gone inside I've gone outside I, I, every time I get taken out and I learned after that I was like you can't you can't change the situation and that and sometimes you mess up sometimes it's someone else so you know I I, I, I just kind of approach it like that if it, if it goes well it goes well if it doesn't we've got another weekend and i think that works quite well psychologically for me from uh alessia uh what's it like to be back with marcus <laughs> there you go yeah i mean we're not in a relationship no, but, um <laughs> no it's 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 funny I, I mean it's good to have him here it's good to share the experience yeah. with him um i think he's enjoying it a lot with ganassi did you guys um, ever live together like yeah we lived together for a year yeah. and italy um it's good fun look i know him really well uh he's a good good guy a bit strange i have to say but you know we're all strange <laughs> in our own ways um but yeah it's good fun from david would you rather have a race where you make 10 overtakes to take the win but get disqualified or a race uh where you avoid carnage to take just a podium so in my heart hmm. i would love the first option where you take you go from 10 places back to yeah. to win but you know no one gives no one cares anymore about the journey you have they they care yeah. about the journey once you get the result you know at the end of it all you need the results and that's that's something through my career where i always valued the journey more and the experience that you got and then realized actually people only care about the results on the on the long term of course some people care about the journey right and i would love more people too but it's a story of life no one no one gives a shit about what you've done uh, until you've done it you yeah. know that's that's yeah. the thing and that's my uh, quote of the day on that side you've <laughs> got to get the results even even if the the journey is great and it helps you longer later in life i would say i i've been helped a lot by the journey i've done but at some points in my life having the results would have made a b bigger difference than the learning the learning that i got but i could could be surprised in 10 years it could be the other way around and catch up on me from uh I think it's Katrin. I I lot of hope. Oh, there you go. Yeah, she, she's a big <laughs> there fan. There you go. If, uh, so if you could add an international track to the IndyCar calendar, which one would it be? That's actually a good question. It, okay, I would say Silverstone. Um, really? That would be great. In an IndyCar? Yeah. All right. It's a home track. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, they did Brands Hatch years ago, so I, it's not impossible. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, I don't know which series did that, but it was one of Champ the IndyCar Car. series. Champ yeah. Car. <laughs> yeah, okay. My you, day, you, man, my day. You, so you went there. <laughs> I didn't. I never got to go. Oh, okay. um, but didn't I didn't have to, the do re mi. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, the, those those overseas ones <laughs> are a bit dear. Um, but I think the best one, personally, excluding like the North America, South America type stuff, because that's a lot easier to do, would yeah. be Monza. Monza in an Indy car. That'd be cool. That would be great. Uh, Jonathan Howe, last one for you. Can he? Oh, can you describe or put into words how much tighter the midfield in IndyCar is on any given weekend compared to F1? I think the average uh, F1 fan misunderstands that. So that's interesting, but I wouldn't even say midfield. I would say first place all the way back to 25th. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like we... Uh, yeah, pretty much between first and 25th, depending on the weekend, is within one second, right? Yeah. And bear in mind, you do have development in this series, okay? Albeit with a smaller part of the car, yeah. that's super impressive. I, I think oh, there was one, there was one track last year where I think if I'd have improved a tenth, it would have jumped me up eleven spots, 
which is which is ridiculous. But Whew. you know that's the way it is. And of course, our qualifying format is is quite strange, but a bit different, where you have two groups of 12, 13, 14. Um, the fastest six out of those two then go into the fast 12. So you've got 12 cars, and then the fastest six out of those 12 then go into the the final thing. And there's tire strategies, all of this. It's it's not simple to get your head around, but it, it as a as a driver, it's a kind of good quick way of getting through um yeah it, it's super tight you know yeah. it's like no mistakes i i i nail those laps and sometimes i'm p22 and that's the way it is yeah. like the uh, same pete i nailed the lap i come in i i go to my engineer mate this lap is good and and then he's like yeah i think we need a better car for this weekend <laughs> and i'm like yeah i i know i i did I, i'm not gonna be pissed but it's just the way it is it's that's how indycar is you know you can you can just be slightly out the window and you're done you make a mistake you're not transferring you're gonna be p23 24 but you did finish p5 and i believe you're what still p5 in the championship as yeah, we take this that, right that helps after one race yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no that's good stuff thanks very much for your time calm no worries uh, really appreciate really appreciate that appreciate your time as well it's calm i driver for Hunkos allinger racing and indycar callum thanks again for your time thank you very much